Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know it's the presence of the Lord. How good to be with you and to share this experience of worship together. It's good being with grandchildren. The only problem we grandparents have made is that we should have had them first. (laughs) I have three, two in Indiana and one in California and one on the way. Our last. We have three grandsons and are about to have a granddaughter. And my wife is thrilled. She says it's easier and more fun shopping for girls than it is for boys. And I can't place limitations on my wife's spending. She's never abused those privileges. But when it comes to grandkids' children clothes, sometimes I wonder if the time has not arrived. put on those limitations. I say this so sincerely this morning. You just don't know how that good it is for me to be here today. And just to sing with you and uh, sing in the presence of the Lord. You see, I'll, I'll soon be 78 years old, and, and I'm not really in greatly to contemporary music. My generation basically isn't. But two things I'll look for. One is that it's singable, and two, that it has content. And today we have sung singable songs. And my, if you don't take anything home with you today but what you heard in the singing, you should double your offering in the offering place today. Oh, God. <laughs> God is so good. God is so good. Sometimes we read the scripture before we preach and hurry through it quickly so we can get on to the better stuff. And yet the best stuff is in the word itself. And I want to begin today by reading two passages that um, are awesome to me. They speak so strongly. And I trust they will to you today as well. One from the New Testament and one from the Old. And interestingly enough, I'm going to begin with the benediction. Found in Ephesians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 20. Now to him that is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and forever. And then in the Lamentations of the Old Testament of the prophet Jeremiah, the familiar words found in the third chapter and beginning, or the fourth chapter and beginning in verse 39. Sorry, beginning in verse uh, 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. When I'm speaking at a church for the first time, I will generally go to the internet, to the website, and see if I can learn some things that I might not know about the church. And I've done that with you. But before I address what I've learned about you, I want to tell you a few things about you that you may not know. And I do. Back in 1976, before many of you were born. How many were not born yet at 1976? A number of them. I was invited to lunch by four businessmen. One went to a Christian church. One went to a free Methodist church. One went to a church of God. And one went to the Baptist church. What a conglomeration of believers. One of them on a business trip had been in a town where there was a very well-known church that he attended as a visitor and heard the word of God faithfully taught. And he said, I don't get that back home where I go to church. It's a sermonette, not a sermon, not always based on the word of God. And I want that. And he said, I I think Greenwood, Indiana, needs an independent, interdenominational church that is faithful in teaching the word so that when you leave church, you know a passage better than you did before you came. And these four men looked across the table at me and they said, and we believe you're the one to start that church. And I was shocked. (laughs) I was shocked for two reasons. One, because the modern-day church growth movement had just begun. And two, because I was a seminary graduate and didn't have any classes on how to grow a church, let alone how to plant one. But I felt it was God's direction. And so my wife and I discussed it. We prayed about it. And we responded to the men in this way. We will help you get it started, but be sure of this. We will not continue to be the permanent pastor after it's once started. Twenty-eight years later, I retired as having been their permanent (laughs) pastor. And so I have learned to say, never say, never to God. We began the church, and I remember someone saying, you know, with God's blessing, the day may come when we're a church of 300 people. And in 1977, when we actually started, a church of 300 people was rare. The word megachurch had not even been spoken. And we set out on the journey by faith, 
learn more by our mistakes than we did by our successes. But God was in it, and God honored it. In the late 70s, a small group of people began to attend our church from the Fairland Pleasant View area, some from even New Palestine. And they loved the church, but in the wintertime, it was hard for them to get there if the weather was bad. And it was difficult for them to say to their neighbor, come go to church with us when they had to drive so far to get there. And they said it would be wonderful if we could have a church like this in our own community. And to make a long story short, out of that, Community Church of Brookville Road was birthed. The first pastor got it started. The second pastor maintained the status quo. But soon the third pastor came by the name of Hubert Nolan, who many of you know. Never have I met a man that has challenged me more in my faith as a man of prayer and a man who believed in fasting. And waiting on the Lord. And God blessed that church. Hubert caught the vision of planting other churches as we continued to share that vision. And today there are over 10 daughter churches still in existence. The community church planted several of them, running over a thousand people every Sunday. There are not only 10 daughter churches, there are five granddaughter churches. And even a great-granddaughter church in view. God has done more than we would have ever imagined. And the day came when um, Community Church of Brookville Road saw fit to ask one of their young associates to leave. And to take a few people with him to plant Living Streams Community Church. And here we are ten years later. And looking back, knowing your history somewhat, this is more a work of God than it is of any man or human being. And God has been more than faithful to you. And so I bring back to you a story that ministered to me more than any other at the beginning. We did a rare thing. We we started the church on the Sunday before Memorial Day. And we started it with a family conference and divided a, uh, invited a Christian psychologist from Tyler, Texas, to come and lead the, the uh, seminar. And when it came to Sunday morning, when he was winding up bringing his next to last address, he said, I, I have a hard time staying on the topic because I want to tell you my experience through the years of helping to plant churches. And so he began to share his experience, and and I literally envisioned a balloon. And every little story he would tell, he pumped more air into that balloon, and it was just getting bigger and bigger. And man, I was getting encouraged, and my people were getting encouraged. And after he got the balloon about as big as I could envision, he said to us, but may I remind you, that God is not in the business of fulfilling men's dreams. Wow, why did he say that? I think I misunderstood him. And he repeated again, God's not in the business of fulfilling your dreams. And I just envisioned a great big hat pin (laughs) right into that balloon and all the air went out until he said, I tell you a third time, 
God's not in the business of fulfilling your dreams. He's in the business of doing exceeding abundantly more than you could ever ask or dream. And I could never get over that. And God has proven that to be true over and over again. I could take the rest of the day sharing story after story how God has worked miraculously in every church that we've ever seen planted and has done more in every church than we could have ever imagined to have accomplished. And so we come to the Internet and uh, Living Streams Community Church. Three dreams you have. It's in writing. Number one, together. It's one of our dreams to build a church that becomes a home, a family united by faith, a place of belonging. I believe that dream's already been realized. I sense it in my own spirit. And the challenge for you today is to maintain that dream and never let any divisiveness ever come to destroy it. If in the words of one writer whose character is questionable, it takes a garden to rear a child, it takes a family to mature a believer. Don't forget that. We are family. Now, in my family, I have only one sibling, an older sister, 18 months older than me. I love my sister. One of my best friends in the world. I'd do anything for her. You can badmouth me all you want, but don't you dare say something bad about my sister. Because I'll rise to defend her because we are family. Are you with me? And so should anyone ever speak a disparaging word about any other member of this congregation, rebuke them lovingly and remind them, they're my sister, my brother, because... At Living Streams, we're family. Don't ever leave that, lose that dream. Secondly, following Jesus to make disciples who follow Jesus, learning to be like him in all areas of their life. I believe you're doing that, but I have a word for you. You'll never finish until Jesus comes. Because as much as many of you have grown in your faith, And I hopefully have grown with you. We're not there yet. And I might measure myself by another brother and say, well, I'm more spiritual than he is. Or I could compare myself with myself and say, I'm a lot better today, farther down the road today than I was this time last year. And all of that would be meaningless. Because I only have one rod by which I can measure myself. And his name is Jesus. And when I stand by him, I'm weighed in the balances and found wanting. Oh, to be like him is my desire. I hope it's yours. Never lose it. Thirdly, reaching the world. I thought there were enough sinners around McCordsville that that ought to occupy your time to keep you from looking at the bigness of the world to reach the lost both in our neighborhoods and other nations. 
a dream that is unending and yet one that is very much on the forefront of your church as a congregation. When I retired in 2005, Community Church of Greenwood had a mission budget of over $600,000 a year. And we believed that we could impact the world. I'm speaking next weekend at the Cove at Billy Graham's Retreat Center on in a mission uh, conference. And the first thing I want to tell them is that I don't believe in giving to missions. Never have. That should get their attention, don't you think? <laughs> and I'll tell you why I don't believe in giving to missions. Because my Bible says that when you give, you give without any expectations of receiving anything in return. And when I give, I want dividends. I want to invest. Not give. I want to sow, not give. I believe in investing in a world that's in need. And when we give to missions, we're investing in eternity, in the souls of men and women in continents around the world. Men and women in Brazil, where some of you visited this week that someday in eternity might say to you in heaven, I'm here because of you. If you hadn't listened to that preacher that admonished you to have a vision as big as the world and to give sacrificially that the gospel might come to those of us who live in Brazil, many of us would not be here. I believe in investing in missions. And man, was I excited when I read on your website this deal of daring faith to get $500,000 within a three-year period of a church this size, who in the world came up with a a goal like that? Now listen to me. You're not capable of meeting that goal. You don't have the resources to meet that goal. And I believe I speak the truth even though I don't know you that well. But I know somebody that does have the resources. And if you know him, you can tap him by faith. He'll use you as a vessel through whom he chooses to give. And you'll stand amazed at the sources from which it comes. Back in the late 1800s, a man came on the scene in the church by the name of A.B. Simpson. And Simpson... uh, in his church every year had a conference. And let's see if I can remember, but it had five different emphases. It, it had a Bible conference. It had an evangelism crusade. It had a, a healing conference. And it also even had a, a missions conference along with all those efforts. And the people of the community thought he was crazy They advertised in the paper the preacher that had the faith cure convention, and they mocked him. But the irony was that within 10 days of that conference, in his little church, he raised more money for world evangelization in one 10-month period than any church in town could raise in 10 years. Because he taught the people how to give. And out of his life came a denomination that some of you may have heard of by the name of Christian Missionary Alliance. 
whose great hero is the late Dr. A.W. Tozer, whom I was blessed to sit under his ministry when I was much younger for a brief period. And then at the beginning of the 20th century, there came a man in Canada to the north by the name of Oswald J. Smith. And he started a church in Toronto, Canada called People's Church. And he started out by teaching people a sermon that laterly became a little pamphlet, and it was entitled, How God Taught Me to Give. And the essence of that pamphlet was, God taught me to tap his resources and not to depend totally upon my own. And through the years, over 50-some million dollars have been given to missions through that church, though now he is gone on to his eternal reward. And the lesson is very simple. Some years ago, I I phrased a little definition that that seems to have stuck in the minds of some people. Now, some of you will get it. Some of you might not. Giving by faith, tapping the resources of God, is simply money that God will give through you that he might never give to you if he saw he could not trust you to pass it on to others. Did you get that? Money that God will give through you that he might never give to you if he saw he could not trust you to pass it on to others. One quick illustration, all I have time for. This summer, I, um, I taught a 10-week class in a local church in Greenwood, and, and I thought I was doing it voluntarily. And uh, we started out with 100 people, grew to about 150 on those 10-week periods, uh, talking about what it means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which I'll mention again in just a moment. And when the 10 weeks was over, the pastor came up and he said, I want to say thank you. And he handed me an envelope and in it was a check for $1,000 for teaching for 10 days voluntarily, 10 weeks in the church. And I thought, no, nowhere I can use that money. And God whispered to me and said, that's not yours. That's mine. You didn't expect that. And you teach people to live on their expected income giving a tithe on their expected income, but over and above that to trust money from other sources that they never anticipate. And when those funds come, to listen to the Spirit. And if God says, give, give. You know where the $1,000 is today? In a mission organization financing a project that we're working on in Haiti, discipling believers that can't read or write. And so I think it's pretty obvious why I came and what I've got to say to you. Because I go back to Ephesians 3. Now to him that is able to do immeasurably more of all that we ask or imagine, it starts. I have a lot of young preachers call me and they say, God's laid it upon my heart and to start a church. And we hear you know a little bit about that, and we want your counsel and your advice. And I say to them very quickly to get your attention, don't do it. You can't afford it. And they can't. They can't afford to buy land. In most cases, land is like gold. They can't afford to, to buy or to build a building. Building costs have soared. 
and a new little church getting started don't have that kind of resources to make all of that happen. So I say to them, don't do it. You can't afford it. And once I have their attention, I say, that is unless you know someone who can't afford it. And I say this to them very sincerely. If you don't understand faith, for God's sake, don't do it. But if you understand faith and you believe that God has called you to do it, God will never ask you to do anything that he's not willing to put up the finances to pay for it. Amen. Well, that's pretty weak. Amen. You got to believe that. You got to believe that. Because it says that he is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Quickly, we were building a building at CCG and we were running out of money because we built without borrowing. And the construction manager came up to me and he said, uh, I'll give you one more month and if money doesn't increase, we'll have to shut her down. And if we shut her down... It'll be a lot more expensive to resume the work later when the money is available. He said, you, you better pray. And we prayed. And one day a lady came to see me at the office and we changed pleasantries. And finally she said to me, I came to tell you that I have sold my business. I said, when my husband died, he gave me the business and it was worth $100,000. She said, I thought I was sitting on top of the world. But God's blessed since he's been gone, and we've multiplied the business several times over, and we've sold it. And God said to me, i got to give you a tithe off of the value of the property that we've sold. You'll get, you'll get 10% of the sale value. Only one requirement. My son's going to the mission field, and 10% of the 10% must go to their support. The other 90% of the sale price is for you to do with what you want to do. And that was really exciting. I was getting excited by every moment. And finally she said, oh, pastor, it's time for me to go. I've got another appointment. And I'm sitting there thinking, but you didn't tell me how much you sold it for. <laughs> and God being my witness, I prayed with her. And she got up and got to the door. And halfway out the door, she looked back. And she said, I forgot to tell you what we sold the business for. She said, we got $4 million out of it. Didn't take me long to figure 10% of 400,000. <laughs> and the building project continued on time. And the day came when it was finished. We paid all of the bills and had less than 200,000. 200. We had less than $200 in the building fund. God provided every step of the journey. Able to do exceedingly abundantly more. According to his power that is at work in us. Who's us? That must be you. Must be me. God works in my mind and heart in different ways at different times. And this past year, I got obsessed with the idea. Theologically, uh, let me say it this way. Karl Barth, the theologian, once said the most profound theological statement that he'd ever considered was, Jesus loves me, this I know. 
And I've always thought of that. I've shared that in other places. And then the thought came to me, what is the most profound theological statement you have ever considered? And it dawned on me this. My my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. He indwells me. The Holy Spirit doesn't come with me. He comes in me. And the implications of that are profound. Because if I read a little bit further in the book of Romans, the spirit that indwells me is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. When you get up tomorrow morning and you're a believer in Christ, think about that. I am indwelt by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And I hate to tell you this, but this church will only be as strong as its weakest member. Pastor Greg, as gifted and loving as he is, he can't do it by himself. Takes every one of us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and working through us, exercising the gifts with which he has given us to make it all happen. And it tends to him to be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. When it's all done and said and done, we will know to whom to give the credit. This weekend, I'm going to say to the people that when you give as prompted by the Holy Spirit, you will not give selfishly, but you will give as he directs. And one way to give selfishly is to give for what you can get out of it. And I've known people that have given millions to different places as long as they could get their name on the building. I got my name on a building down in Greenwood. Yeah. But not because I gave them a lot of money, but because I was one of the founders of the organization. And God spoke to me about that name on the building. And I gave him the glory for it. But my grandson helped me. Fifteen years old, he goes to a social gathering of a bunch of teenagers. He goes to a public high school. They go to the Christian high school that I helped start. And he heard a couple of girls talking, and one of them said to the other one, Who is that man whose name is on the gymnasium of our school? And the little girl answered, uh, Some old man that nobody knows. God said to me, that's who you are. You're just some old man that nobody knows. And those who do know that you don't have anything in and of yourself to accomplish much of anything great. But you've got a great Savior. You've got a spirit of power that lives in you. Don't forget it. Now, Uh, You're not in a hurry, are you? Just give me five more minutes, please. Why the Ecclesiastes, or why the Lamentations passage? Well, to celebrate God's faithfulness to you for ten years. There's not a one of you that can stand and say God hasn't been faithful to this church. It's so obvious that he has. But I got on that passage not long ago to speak in another place. And God said, look at the context, and the context of the passage is, don't turn, just listen to it. It starts out, 
with this uh, verse in Ecclesiastes, the, the very first verse of the passage. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Anybody here think you need a little dose of hope? Well, I do. You know why? I read the morning newspaper. We live in a troubled world. We're being told that if we don't agree with same-sex marriage and the lifestyle of alternative measures that some choose, we're nothing but a bunch of bigots. And we're labeled as unloving hypocrites who pronounce one thing with our faith and live out another. And we go into somewhat of a hostile world these days to live out our faith and to apply its principles to our daily living. And say, friends, I'm glad that your pastor is the pastor of this church and not me. I'm glad that I've done my stint as a pastor. Because when I was the pastor, things were a lot different than they are today. If you'd have told me during the years that I was at the church that we had to do background checks on people that work in our nursery and teach our children in the church, I would have said, you're nuts. But we have to do it. And we're living in a day on a positive note. Take this positively. When we of an older generation look at the church and say what one of my friends said in the title of his book, somebody stole my church. You don't sing many of the old hymns anymore that we treasure. You don't have church choirs in the churches like we used to have. There's just things that are different today. And when a church like yours seeks to grow, you've got to appeal to both generations. Because if you don't, you won't be the church God wants you to be. That's a hard word. And so this morning when you sing singable contemporary songs and sing great is thy faithfulness, I think I've died and gone to heaven. (laughs) But are you aware that in America today, church attendance is what? It's declining. And more and more the younger generation, they aren't saying we're not Christians or, or we're not atheists. We're just nothing. We're nons is the word that has been coined. And so the challenges are there. Are you aware that Mike Pence, our vice president, was a member of Community Church of Greenwood for 10 years? That I was blessed to be his pastor and to watch him grow in his faith. This is not a political commercial. He brought me back from Atlanta, Georgia, a few years ago when I was doing an interim to pray the prayer as his inauguration as a governor. And I'll be honest with you, if... Mike were to call me today and say, Pastor, I'm considering down the road to run for vice, for president of the United States. You know what I'd tell him? Run. Yes. Not, for, not for president. Run away from it. <laughs> and you know why I'd tell him to run? Because the minute he announces he's going to run, the dirt diggers will start. And if they can't find dirt to dig, they'll create some. And I'm not sure I'd want to take my family through that kind of a situation. We live in a troubled time. God wills that he be president. and Someday I'll be one of his greatest supporters. But, oh, listen to God. And that leads me to my final point. That the final word to this passage is simply this. He says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. 
I don't know about you, but that's probably the thing I do worst. I'm not a waiter. I'm a doer. I think God would honor me by saying I have never lagged behind God. Man, if he says go, I'm right with him. But my problem is there's been many times I've been 100 miles ahead of him. Doing my thing. Because I didn't take time to wait on him. I'm applying this in closing to every one of you. The spirit that indwells you is there to guide you. Wait on him and know his leadership before you go. And then you go in peace. You go with all of the resources that he has and take them with you. But I want to say it to the elders of this church. And I don't even know who they are and I don't really care to know. Don't lead this church one step further into any new adventures until you've waited on the Lord and you know it's of God to go. One of the greatest blessings of 28 years as pastor of Community Church was being governed by a board of nine men as elders who would not do anything without a unanimous vote, believing that they had waited on the Lord and they knew what the will of the Lord was. And when we know it, we go forward and we go with all of the resources available to us. And so I say to you today on your 10th birthday, you can never give him enough thanks for all he's been for you for 10 years. His faithfulness is obvious and it's awesome. But don't go another step forward without realizing that as believers you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and whatever you do in obedience to His prompting, all of the resources of heaven are available at your disposal. And God will provide all of your need in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today, knowing that my words are inadequate, to express the gratitude of this congregation. Lord, I marvel at the sense of your presence here as we have gathered today. Surely, surely you are here. We praise you. We love you. We adore you. We magnify your holy name. For you, O oh God, are so worthy. Hear our prayer. Accept our gratitude. And lead us forth. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.